Turn, if you will, as we look to 1 Peter 5, verse 5. We're going to pick up triumphing in troubled times. And I'm going to give you four ways to think in troublesome times. I think I see four things that Peter, as he's closing out a book on God's great salvation in chapters 1 and 2, on how we ought to be submitting to authority in the midst of this book, and over and over, the submission overlaps suffering. So salvation, submission, suffering. And then he comes to the end, and he talks about how God's people need to be shepherded in troublesome times. And we looked at that in verses 1 through 4. Now I want to close out with how we ought to be thinking in troublesome times. Uh, this is a culture, everybody wants to feel good. Uh, who, who recorded that? I feel, oh that, oh, that was James Brown. I'm sorry. <laughs> None of you ever heard of him. I grew up on him. Uh, that uh, I want to feel good, but there's something biblically. A man's got to think right, then act right, and feeling right is the bonus. Have you ever done the right, and you didn't necessarily feel great, but you did do the right? The reward is wonderful. So, everybody wants to make me feel good. What about getting you to think right? Would you be in for that? And here we're going to look at four things. We ought to think humbly of ourselves, number one. Number two, uh, we ought to think, uh, if I get my memory, I need to think and remember my points. Uh, that's why I bring notes. Winston Churchill forgot his speech in Parliament. Never again did he go without notes. Uh, we need to think carefully because we have an adversary that wants to have us for lunch. He actually, he wants to destroy you, your marriage, your children, your church. When will you wake up to realize we are under threat? Do you live that way? Then we ought to think hopefully because verse 10 is going to tell us what God is going to do after we've suffered and for a while. He gives you four things he'll do. Finally, I think we ought to think in terms of family affection. Four things. How should we think? Humbly. Uh, before we talk and illustrate, I'm going to show you four symptoms of humility. Four things that he fleshes out the humility with. But whether you know it or not, every one of us are born proud. Uh, everyone deals with pride. It's just, it's just part of being a human being, pride. But uh, usually you don't know you've got it. You think you're humble. You're just right all the time. Get over it. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm humble. You know, kind of that kind of uh, attitude. There's one vice which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes if they see it in someone else, but they tolerate it in themselves. Uh, the greatest vice to your being is pride. It's not sexual immorality, lying, stealing, greed. All that comes out of it. 
The you know what? The devil doesn't care if you quit uh, drinking, smoking, chasing women. He doesn't care if you do that or not. What he wants you to do, matter of fact, he might like it if you would quit half that stuff. What he wants you to do is remain proud. Remain proud. Matter of fact, you're proud you quit it all. Because we just have a way. It's the vice that brought us down in the Garden of Eden. It brought down Satan uh, in eternity past. Pride, uh, that wreathing, uh, seething, uh, wretched disease of the heart, and we don't even know it a lot of times when we have it. One of the key ways you know it is competition. Competition is a sure, uh, and, and I have to admit I have some of that. It's no fun to play a game unless you beat them. I mean, come on, anybody can do free, anybody can play a horse, but drive them into the ground, boom. I won. I, I've quit playing Tim Balstrom because he's in a winning streak. The game has lost its fun for me. I'm used to winning in ping pong unless I played against David and he tortured me. I want to win. And there's a certain aspect that's good. But when you go through life always competing with people, maybe money, I want a bigger house, a bigger car, a Corvette, or, you know, things, <laughs> things like that. You know, uh, some have to repent. But anyway, uh, it's always, I'm better. My opinion is better than yours. Uh, some way I'm better. My pigmentation makes me better. Something. We'll use some, my gender maybe. I'm better than a woman. Ooh. I can't say that. I raised three daughters. Uh, a proud person is so busy, they can't look up because they're so busy looking down on others. Yeah, they can't. Because pride is always uh, manifest in how we evaluate other people. How do, how do you evaluate a poor person? Are they stupid? Uh, they're not worthy of what you got because you're so much smarter. How, how do you view people? And they know it. They can read it without you ever saying it. You, you think I'm less than you, don't you? Because you don't elevate me. Jesus always seemed to take the least and the most disenfranchised and elevated them, whether it's a leper, a woman. Yes, sir. He, he was a uh, people elevator. Amen. He came to help them, not to look down on them. Um, a sure test of a humble man is he'll try to hang out with people better than himself. You see, uh, I told my daughter years ago, if you hang out with God, you won't be too impressed with people. But if you don't hang out with God, you'll be impressed with yourself and with someone that if they don't like you or whatever. I'm always telling young girls, don't let that guy lie to you. Get yourself first. Get your identity from Christ. Get your identity. In, and I don't need your whistle boy to have worth. To know who I am. Because I'm trusting you. Now Peter's going to give, I think, four ways that humility 
if you have it, will manifest itself in you. Number one, you'll be submissive. And he starts with younger men in verse 5. You younger men submit to the elders. I take the elders to be the church leaders, verses 1 through 4. And the younger, I don't know, I don't think he's picking on younger, but uh, maybe that's where the trouble came from. You know, if you're young and inexperienced, you know everything. Uh, you know what the term sophomore means in college? Sophomore, two Greek words, Sophia and mor moron. In other words, you're smart, moron. I know everything by my sophomore year. And uh, I remember uh, there was a, a very popular preacher when I was growing up. He was another young guy. I was young. We were preaching, and he was kind of becoming the rage and so I, I got my dad. I said, go with me to hear this guy. He's kind of the rage. And uh, let's hear him. And so we went. I drove him all the way to Los Gatos. And uh, we went and heard the guy. And we're riding home. And uh, so after a while, I said, all right, Dad, what, what's your appraisal? What's your appraisal? He said, well, once he has suffered a while, he'll be worth listening to. He's all theory and no experience. He's all youthful, zealous energy, but uh, I could tell he's not suffered yet. How he knew that, I don't know. Younger men, submit to church leaders. Great leaders are first great followers. Great leaders are great followers. I never had worked for a man in my life that wouldn't want me to work for him again. I became very popular at a school. I was kind of the big man on campus. Our president was always uh, in the bullseye, being criticized, being this and that. And one day, God impressed in my heart in a prayer tower on campus, your job is to make his job easier. Your job is to protect him. Your, it is not to start a fan club for yourself. My test to you is how you treat that embattled president. If you don't submit to those in authority, your promotion's over. God resists the proud. He's going to keep you from going up because he's in charge. If you don't think he's in charge, ask Nebuchadnezzar when he loses his sanity for seven years because he said, this is what I built without giving God the glory. And if God can't promote you, you might as well forget it. If God doesn't know David's out here taking care of these sheep, you don't have to be called in the roll call. Had no idea of being the next king. But God knew where the boy was. God got him there. Samuel said, there's nobody in front of me qualified to be the next king. God, I've got a boy over here, just a teenager. Ask Uzziah about this pride, that when he became successful, he grew powerful, and his heart became proud, and he entered into the priest's office, and he died in isolation as a leper. Yes, oh, be careful, pride. First, are you submissive? Two, are you wearing the apron of a servant. He said, clothe yourself. And the word literally is the apron that the servants and the slaves wore in that time. Put the apron of a servant on. 
I wonder what Peter's thinking. I wonder if he's thinking in the upper room when not one of 12 men offered to wash feet. Nobody offered to wash Jesus' feet. It was against Jewish custom to wash feet. You always got another hired servant. You don't wash each other's feet. And Messiah, Jewish king, bows, and he wears the apron of a servant. Girds himself, and the water's being poured, and he starts to wash the feet. Let me ask you, do you wear the apron of a servant? Do you come to be served or to serve? Some of you, you've been on the pew so long, you begin to take roots there. You think that's your service. And just pray for a short service. God, make it short. Hallelujah, he answered prayer. He died of a heart attack at uh, quarter to 11. No, no, no. When? When will you become a servant? Have you ever put that attitude? You see, when he says in Colossians, clothe yourself. See, I should only see about 5% of your body. Please don't show me anymore. <laughs> what I've seen up to now sometimes discourages. He said, you clothe yourself, Colossians. You wear it. Don't say, well, I'm humble. Nobody knows it. Because you don't wear a humble stance. We don't sense the servant in you. We don't sense a submissive spirit. He goes on to say, this is a little convicting. If you don't amen, I'll know you're convicted. <laughs> you're all proud. That's what you're proud. No. Then he said, stoop low. Humble yourself. You see, humility is self-chosen. You choose it. Have you ever been humiliated? You never lost anything. You never look bad. Bunch of dishonest people this morning. <laughs> you know, I've had a couple of times that I've rolled off the a pole. Have any of you ever seen me do the acrobatic act? Twice. I've tripped on these stairs. One of the elders tried to pick me up, and I hit him. Because <laughs> I did a tuck and roll and just came up. <laughs> and I thought it was great. But that would really basically be humiliation. Right? You, you just dream of falling out. Say, Man, doesn't mean they're humble. I don't want to be humble. I don't want to be humiliated. What he's calling for is a chosen, voluntary attitude. First starts in my mind. Then it shows up in my wardrobe. I clothe myself in it. It's not for sale at Nordstrom's. You could only get it in God's presence. It's a special wardrobe of the men and women that God uses. Uh, then he said, stay in reliance on God. Verse 7. We want to make it a separate prayer thing, but he's really tying it all together with this humble attitude. Humility. Fight. Listen to what he says here. I'll pick it up now. Verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves. Take on this apron. All of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is what James chapter 4 says. The Bible's full of it. God opposes.
opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now listen, humble yourselves. Who does this? Did he say, let yourself be humbled? You choose it. You choose humility. And this is a hard pill for men that are going to be Rambo. Huh? I'm better. I can do it. I can handle myself. Oh, you're worthless in church work because the battle's not won by who's the biggest, the toughest, and who owns the biggest weapon. This warfare is spiritual. It's against princely powers. It's against not flesh and blood. It's not who can win in a game. This Can you win against demonic powers? And your strength won't win the battle. And so he says in 7, learn to cast your anxieties on the Lord. And the word's a strong word. Throw it. Throw it on the Lord. Throw it like a bundle. I, I can't. I must tell Jesus all of my troubles he will bear. <clears throat> it's wonderful when you know you've got more help than you just. I, I know we all live with anxiety and fear at seasons and over particular issues. It's just a way of living. And Jesus, and now he's telling us, he's quoting right out of Psalms 55, cast it. The Lord will not let anyone fail who cast their burdens on the Lord. And you do it there in Isaiah by waiting on the Lord. It's wonderful when you think God cares about you. We used to sing a song, it matters to him about you. Your heartaches, your troubles he shares. Regardless of what you may do, it matters to him about you. That's really the literal translation. I remember thinking about casting your care. When I first uh, started the church back in 71, 72, I knew growing here all my life how property values were going up. And I was living, I eventually was living with my brother, and, and you can get a house in Pano Valley then for 25000 Anybody remember that? Okay. So I thought, if I could just save $2,000, I can make a down payment. Well, by the time I saved 2000 they jumped to 50000 So I told David, I'm going to be here a lot longer. <laughs> Poor guy. He had to get married to get me out. And, uh, but my mother used to come and visit with us on Monday. Her father passed away. And, so she was, and she was there, and Carolyn, and on a, like a Monday morning, I called this realtor. I saw it in the paper, 11 acres, $300,000. I said, man, that could be a church site. I called the guy, and uh, now at this time, I'm getting $75 a week. If that. Okay. I'm living with my brother. He's paying the rent. I had to sell my car because I couldn't make a $67 a month car payment. I loved living with David because he had a big coin barrel, and I was going to seminary. So if you don't have enough money to get across the bridge, believe me, that barrel was my friend. <laughs> I called this realtor, and I said, hey, I saw on the paper, you got I don't think I even knew the price, but I said, 11 acres for sale. Yeah, we're talking. He said, well, are you interested? I said, sure are. Absolutely. I said, by the way, what does it go for? 
He said, $300,000. And, and he's kind of waiting for a heavy breath. And, uh, he said, and then I repeated it. I said, that, that's 300000 right? He said, yes. He said, is that a problem? I said, money is no problem. <laughs> money is no He said, really? I said, it's no problem. And so I get off the phone, and my mother looks at Carrie and says, has he flipped his mind? <laughs> I mean, he's barely hanging on. What do you mean it's no problem? It's a big problem. I said, if it's God's will, it's no problem. I said, if it's God's will, <laughs> God's got the provision. If you go to him in prayer, Everything you need for life and godliness, God's given us in a book and in access to prayer. He goes on, secondly, says you ought to think carefully because you've got an enemy that wants to kill you. What would you do? Would it change your life if I said, there's a guy loose and he's, he's going to work especially uh, Monday through Saturday night. He wants to kill you, your children, and your wife. Could you stay alert? Anybody? Well, what about when he tells you there's someone out there that wants to kill you every day of your life? He hates you. According to John 10, the wolf comes to kill and to destroy. And if it wasn't for the hand of the shepherd and his protection, you all would have already been eaten for dinner by the devil. L listen to the language. Be sober-minded, sleepy, lazy, uh, yawning. No, no, no. Sober-minded, be free from an intoxicated mind. Be so you can think clearly. Can you think clearly? Can you think clearly about where this is coming from, this lie, this distortion, and then he said, be watchful. Why does he say this? Watch this, Peter. He fell through pride, John 13. If all these other bozos bail out, you count on me. Is that pride? I'm the most loyal guy you've got. Jesus said, well, okay, I'm headed for Gethsemane. Go with me. We get over to Gethsemane. And he said, I want you to watch and pray. I don't want you to sleep. Three times. You can know you're headed for trouble when you can't stay awake during devotions. Or every time someone says, pray or read the Bible, ether comes over you. <laughs> See, spirit, I've seen people, it's that way with kids. Hey, kid, take out the trash. Daddy, I'm tired, okay? Ring, ring, meet you to play ball. That kid gets instant energy. Let's hit it. I feel called to it, you know. He said, no, you get sleepy about what doesn't interest you. He said, Peter said, listen to me. I'm a man that fell through pride. I'm a man that Satan picked off, and Jesus said he would. I'm a man that went to sleep. I just had hours to be with the Son of God before the cross, and I went to sleep on him. 
and we just got hours before the trumpet sounds and we get out of here and some of you need to wake up now. Wake up. It's your family. It's your marriage. They just did a demographic on our area and Larry was sharing. They said marriages are the major demographic problem in this area. People's marriages are in trouble. They're in trouble. They're in trouble. Their kids are strung out. And I see people, 21 days of prayer, will you ever show up? Will it make any difference to you? Will you seek God's face? Don't tell me what's wrong with Trump. Don't tell me all the problems. Are you self-control? Are you watching? Are you aware there's a bigger enemy than the United States government? It's called the devil. And his, his agenda is why, if you don't watch out, he'll be nibbling on you today. He likes to sample. He wants you to be an appetizer before he knocks you off. And you don't have to study lionology. You better study the Word of God. That's the only thing he's really afraid of. He's not afraid of you. Now, you're no threat. Your dog isn't even bothered by you. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's hungry. He's hungry. Seeking, put your name in there, seeking Phil Howard to devour. Who? That's scary. You mean me? Uh, yet seeking some? Everyone that's a believer is a target for the devil. He hates churches. He hates preachers. He hates deacons. He hates Christians. He hates anything that smells like God. And if you belong to God, he is out to kill you. Did you know that? No, that's so anemic. I said, did you know that? I'm talking about you, us, your home. Don't call me. You got to stand. You don't run. You got to stand. Have you done all to stand? There's no armor for your back. Don't run. Stand. Dig in. Stand. We're standing for the Bible. We're standing for morals. We're standing for Jesus. I stand on the Word of God. My hope's built on nothing less. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His most excellent Word. Oh, listen to me. I see so many dumb Christians stupid about the Bible, and they got more access to it than they've ever had in the history of the world. I don't know. Why don't you know? Turn that blasted TV off. You're dumb enough. Why don't you put something in your mind? How do you, how do you overcome dry seasons? You read well. You view well. You hang out with good people that will do you well. Who are you hanging out with? And here he's saying, and he says in Ephesians, take God's truth like armor to protect every category in your mind. Truth, gospel, righteousness, faith. Taking the sword of the Spirit, which are the utterances of God. Do you know enough Bible to resist the devil? What about this? Turning stones to bread. I've never been tempted that way. How about you? In the Greek, since you're the Son of God, 
It was a class. There's four conditions in Greek, but it was a condition. Since you are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. Well, when I first look at it, what's wrong with that? That's a pretty good deal. You've been fasting 40 days. It wasn't the will of God. Meet your own need apart from God's will. What did Jesus do? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Would someone tell me where that's found? Go. That's where the passage is in Matthew 4. Where, where's the verse he quoted? What? Deuteronomy. You knew that, didn't you? No, you didn't. 8. 8. 3. Could you have quoted Deuteronomy 8. 3? Some of you have been quoting Jesus wept too long. You need to get some words. What do I tell the devil? The other day, I was overwhelmed with anxiety. And while I was praying about the issue, seven verses came to me. I wrote them down as soon as I could. I took them to the elders. I want this to guide us in our prayer meeting. These are the words that came from God. He that seeketh God diligently shall be rewarded. Boom. You have not because you ask not. Boom. James. Uh, on and on. And boom, boom, boom. I quoted. Guess what? Anxiety lifted. Because the words of God are greater than the devil's anxiety producing lies. You've got to run to the word of God. But you can lay with it on your head every night. It won't get in there. <laughs> now lay me down to say, Lord, let me learn your word. <laughs> Wait. No, it didn't happen that way, honey. Study it. I found out none of this Bible has come alive until I studied it. I was dreading First Peter. You know why? I never studied it. It's like that woman, I don't understand the book of Revelation. Honey, have you read it? No. Well, yeah. It'd be kind of hard to make you understand something you won't read. Think carefully. What can we do to save our kids, our marriages? We're in the uh, worst culture I've ever seen when I don't even know which bathroom to go to. Berkeley, you know, just changed it from manholes to maintenance holes. Catch up, get current. I mean, I thought I had three daughters, but I got to read the latest lexicon. I thought I was. You are. Don't listen to all these people God's given over to a feudal mind. Think hopefully. Third thing. Look what verse 10 says. I love the way this sounds. And after you have suffered a little while. Don't you love that? That suffering just a little while. <laughs> Whether it's in this life and you go into eternity of God, like Job, has a termination when he's going to call off the devil and the suffering and restore him. Whatever that timeline is, I don't know. But after you've suffered a little while, listen to me. We're not destined for forever suffering. We've been rescued from that. It's the unsaved that's got forever suffering. Ours are temporary assignments. But God has an assignment purpose in them, and he 
tells us four things he's going to do after we have suffered a while, after you fought with cancer, after you buried a loved one, after you've been persecuted by Nero, after you've been imprisoned, after you've been martyred, after you've been chased like a dog, guess what God's going to do after a while? He's going to confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you and restore you. That's what he's going to do after a while. He's going to restore you. It's to set a bone. He's going to outfit you. You're going to be complete when he gets done. Wow. I sure wish he could complete me with a little less pain. But he said, this suffering you're going through completes you. I'm going to confirm you. And it's the word to make you firm, make you solid. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to infuse strength. Ephesians 6.10 is a passive voice. Let me put my power in you. I want to give you the power for the evil day. Your help comes from the Lord. Your help comes from the Lord. Then he said, I'm going to settle you. And the word means a foundation. I'm going to uh, establish you like one lays a foundation. It's interesting in Matthew 7, Jesus told the parable at the end of the great Sermon on the Mount. And he said, there's two men, two houses, two storms. Both houses go through the storm. Yes, sir. Both claim to know the Lord. But only one has a foundation on a rock that bring the storm on. I've been built to endure the storm. Did you know what? When God saves someone, he has built you to withstand the storm. I don't believe in this conversion that lasted a month. That's no salvation. That's no salvation. Well, they used to go to church. I've got a Pentecostal woman who preached to me as a kid. She's in her 90s now. But preached to me when I was 15, 16. Conquered Brentwood. She made me feel like Billy Graham when I could barely testify. <laughs> she was gracious. But ever since I've gone Baptist with this eternal security, she just can't buy it. So when I see her at gatherings of old-time people that we grew up with, I love, I, I do this to her all the time. I said, well, Ruth, Ruth, I thought you would be backslid by now. Now, she's gray-headed, 92 years of age. You can't raise too much cane at 92. I said, I thought you would have slipped out by now. And she just put that finger, you hear me, young man, I don't want to go back. I know him. There's nothing back there. I love him. Well, Ruth, come on, just backslide for a week. Come on, stay in shape. Love him a week, backslide a week. Love him a week, backslider. You think that is the evidence of salvation? That's the kind God needs. Because for a week he helps you, for a week you're on your own. Oh, no, 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 no. He establishes my goings. 
He puts a stake to it that withstands the torrents, the temptations, and the changes. I have a mighty rock in Jesus. He can keep me through the storm. It's his keeping, not mine. He's the keeper. If you knew what I said, you'd be clapping too. Don't tell me about, maybe so, I may last a week. The elect will persevere. They may stumble, they may fall, just even like Peter, but they come back. I know. Finally, he starts wrapping up the book. He says the purpose he wrote was verse 12. I wrote to encourage you. Um, I call this the family affection. He's just wrapping up the book. But I love just the affection of it. Listen, by Sylvanius, we know him as Silas in Acts 15 and 16. By Sylvanius, who is his amanuensis, the guy that probably was his secretary, a faithful brother as I regard him. Do you have any faithful brothers in the body of Christ? Catherine does. First Peter 1 Peter 1.22 said, love one another fervently. And that fervently means is uh, the tendons will show on your legs because you're stretching. Do you go out of your way to love any of the brothers and sisters? He, Peter told us to do it. He said, do it sincerely. Don't wear a mask. Don't, don't put on a front. But stretch yourself to love God's people. The world won't believe you really know Christ until they see how you treat each other. Right? I think uh, I heard Robbie Zacharias say that he quoted C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters that one of the devil's favorite tools against Christians is sameness. Sameness. That's why St. Jesus died, buried, rose again. Oh, I've heard that a million times. It's why there's so much church shopping. I'm tired of sameness. I'm tired of the same old verses. Saying, I want something out of the ordinary. I'm shopping. I'm shopping. I never knew we'd have to get fog machines to get people to go to church. I've been preaching in the fog for years. Don't need a machine. I thought it was God's presence, God's word, God's son. Oh, but that's too boring. We gotta update it. Everybody believes the Bible is gray headed. That's what a lot of young millennials think. Here, as persecution and suffering comes. You get a family affection. Here he said in first chapter, I'm an elect exile. We're scattered in five counties over in Asia. I haven't seen many of you brothers, but let me tell you how I think about the brothers. Silas is a loyal brother. I love him. I have no bitter words to say. He goes on. I've written you intentionally to encourage you. We used to have encouragement cards in the lobby. Have you ever written an encouragement card? Have you ever manually written? I don't mean text. 
Yes, that'll do. But have you ever intentionally tried to encourage someone? Don't tell me that's not your gift. It's your command. We're told Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another today, lest your heart be deceived by sin and you harden your heart. Today, today. He said that to you and me. If you're a discourager, you need to repent and get right with God. He has not called any of The devil is the accuser and the slanderer. He doesn't need any help from you, us. He, he hates us enough. Let us not hate each other. Let us love each other. Let's try to encourage each other. Then he goes on, and he said, she who's in Babylon, I think it's the church there, and I accept what scholars say that Babylon is probably a shorthand for Rome because he doesn't want this letter confiscated and the saints to suffer. But he says, who is likewise chosen sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Is that his uh, biological son? No. I want you to turn to a verse. Chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. For years, I've been haunted by what Jesus said, call no man father. I know boys that actually won't call their dad father because of that saying of Jesus. Call no man father. Oh, I can't call you dad father. Look at what G Paul says. Verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my... Anybody? Oh. He acts like he has a father-child relation. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many... For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Oh, you went right against Jesus. No, no. Jesus used the term father like the rabbis did. Their disciples were called their children, and they exercised absolute authority over that disciple. It was religious dominant authority. Don't call any man your rabbi, your lord, or your father. It's interesting, we've got a whole denomination that's run by the Papa, the Pope. And all of his priests are called fathers. No, no, no. This is a term of endearment, a term of family affection. I led you to Christ when I shared the gospel. I want to say this. I've pastored a lot of people through the years, but some were, became children because I led them to the Lord. I discipled them in the Lord. And I have more than a, hi, brother, see you later. No, no, I have a family affection as though I fathered them. I have a lot of men in this church call me their dad because they never had a dad that loved them before. When I first started this church, I can't tell you how many of these hippie kids strung out on drugs and sex and rock and roll and Berkeley hell raising. When they came there, girls, I was the first man to ever hug them because I came from people that we were born again in microwave ovens. We didn't grow up on handshakes. We grew up on hugging and family affection. Only guy that never touched them that didn't have a sexual agenda. And they'd weep. Said, you're my father. 
I remember when I went to seminary in Fresno, I had a wonderful Mennonite teacher named D. Edmund Hebert. I was at the school for Hebert. I wanted to learn everything he could teach me about Greek. He was totally deaf at the time. We had to write our questions on a piece of paper or something. He could read lips very well. He could sing a Luo's chart just like that. He was amazing. Parse verbs. and He's just brilliant. Wonderful man. But when I would get with him, he's gray-headed, he's up in years, and these Mennonite farmers in Fresno, I have to admit, clothed Deborah, because we, we lived out of the clothing pantry. They fed us, because they were farmers, and they brought their goods in, and we could eat out of the pantry free. For Christmas, the Mennonite church in Shafter made Christmas for our family. Many of us still speaking German. And old Dr. Hebert, he would say, sit down, Brother Howard. Everything was brother. It'd been heard it. Mennonite tradition. Communal, communal. It was music. It was uh, family endearment. I'm amazed at how cold churches get. How? Say, did you know what? Within three minutes of being born again, I hugged every gray-headed woman in our church at a Tuesday night prayer night. We only had about 40 of us, and mo most of them were old-fashioned holiness women, gray-headed, gray long sleeves, no makeup. My brother Hazel were playing music, my dad. But immediately, as a 14-year-old punk wearing a leather jacket, I had to hug every one of those sisters. I hugged them. Who told me to do that? As a teenager, these were leftovers from another era. I'm into Presley. I'm into rock and roll. I'm not into being cool. Immediately, they became beloved. Immediately, they became beautiful. Immediately, there was kinship. Have you been born again? If you haven't, you've never experienced that kind of love. You've not experienced family affection. And wait till times get harder for us in America. The brothers and sisters are going to look better every day. We learned, we need to learn to be affectionate while we can. Father, I ask for a spirit of humility and dependence to permeate this church and my own heart. I repent of my pride that can crop up at any moment. Help us not to be a proud people. We have nothing to be proud of, just thankful. And I ask that you would help us to not be a prey for the devil's plots to destroy us. Your word is sufficient. Your spirit is sufficient. Yes, yes. Peter knew what it was to fall in the grip of Satan and be sifted. I don't want to, Lord. 
Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Let us, let us cling to your arm and to your word. I am assured of the hope that you will confirm us someday. You will establish us. You will rescue us. You will vindicate us after we have suffered a while. And in the meantime, how I thank you for the brothers, the sisters all over this globe, different colors, different countries, different ethnicities, different languages, but a brother and a sister nevertheless. For John said, I saw the redeemed from every kindred, tribe, and tongue sing around the throne to the Lamb. I pray as we participate in remembering you, Jesus, I sure wish you would run me in this church. I wish you'd be Lord. Get your way in elder meetings, deacon meetings, and all the people. Jesus, you are head. I don't have any papa that I'm going to. I go to the living God as my father. I go to a living Savior who advocates and intercedes. Rescue our marriages. Rescue our kids as they go back to school here in August and September. Our kids going away to college, I hope they don't lose their faith. Not all of us can afford $50,000 a year education. And many of them go to public schools. They have no choice. Preserve them. The enemy is crouching, and he wants to destroy them. Oh, Father, we're desperately dependent on you for deliverance, protection, and provision.